Hello and welcome to the Practical Magic Podcast, a weekly dive into ways in which we can live a calmer, more creative and empowered life on our own terms. I'm Kate Taylor, Creativity and Empowerment Coach, and I'm on a mission to help us live an embodied life full of creative expression through my blended melting pot of goodness I call Practical Magic. Today on the Practical Magic Podcast, I am speaking with author and blogger Alice Judge Talbot on her recent book, The Backup Plan, How to Live a Happy Life Again After a Not So Happy Ever After. We're going to be covering a lot of topics today, including how not being good enough is a feminist issue, how actually writing is a cathartic process to process all of the things that go on in our life, and how consciously and unconsciously we take in and deal with so many issues in our day-to-day life as well as some amazing self-care tips from Alice too. Alice is a blogger, writer and entrepreneur from Buckinghamshire, a quiet place she found herself when she became a single mum to two under the age of two at the age of 27. So Alice started her blog More Than Toast in 2009 when she found herself pregnant in a group of friends where mum was a word used for the woman you call when you broke up with your boyfriend. Since then, Alice, you've been on this trajectory of writing, uh, having a career in marketing, writing mm-hmm. frankly and funnily and emotively on issues that affect mums and us, all us humans all over the world, from pregnancy and childbirth to postnatal depression, divorce and life as a single mother. You yeah. are now thriving and a proud mum of five and seven-year-olds who are really quite cute. And you have many fingers and many pies, including self-designed range of amazing T-shirts and an incredible book, The Backup Plan, which is published by Hodder and Staunton and... A column in the Telegraph. I am worn out just reading all of that. <laughs> so am I. Can I oh my now? God. So welcome, welcome, welcome onto the show. Why don't you give us a bit Thank more of your you. backstory, Alice, and why you've come to do what you do? Um, well, yes, as you said, I became a single mum when I was 27. I used to live in London, work in the media. Um, I used to be a digital marketing manager for uh, a big magazine. Um, my ex-husband worked in music so we kind of had the, the you know the crazy life that you always want if you want that kind of thing you know yeah. like you, you kind of go to fashion shows and nightclubs and drink champagne and stay up till 6am living um, the dream yeah absolutely um I met him when I was at university when I was 18 so um we got married really young which I probably wouldn't do again have I if I had my time again probably wouldn't get married at 23 but it was an, a good idea at the time yeah um as it always is um but I I had endometriosis when I was younger so I'd had a couple of operations and a lot of trouble with my um my kind of perceived fertility my gynecologist had told me that it would be really hard to to conceive and my husband ex-husband and I knew that we always wanted to start a family so I was advised to just start trying as young as I could because it would probably take a few years it took a month um so I had a baby when I was 24 um Again, which probably wouldn't have been the first plan. Well, it's not what you're expecting at that point of your life, is it? No, not at all. No, not when you just get home and have a drunken shag after yeah. a workout. <laughs> um, that's, that's where we found ourselves. And yeah. I mean, looking back on it, I, I wouldn't do it any other way. I mean, I say like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't do it that way again. But it's been brilliant. It's, it was so good to be a young mum, I, I think, because you have so much energy and enthusiasm um, for what you're doing. And I think from what I hear, that gets tougher as you get older and I kind of feel like mine are now that little bit older they can get themselves dressed they can get themselves a snack 
Um, and it's nice that at the age of 32, they do have that bit of independence. So I am really, I, I didn't enjoy motherhood at the start. I found it very difficult because I think I was, I was quite isolated. But now I'm a bit older. I really, really enjoy my children. So I'm, I'm very thankful it happened the way that it happened. Um, but yeah, anyway, so we split up when I was 27 and I was on my own with the two. And I restarted my career. I'd left my my job to be a mum. Uh, and I restarted my career back in marketing and um, kind of carried that across to a bit of writing. And I, I had my blog that always made a little bit of pocket money, but I wanted to, to create more of a commercial success out of that, which I have done. Um, and through that, I've had my column at The Telegraph and the book, which actually came through Instagram. The book came, really? came through Instagram. Yeah, which was was interesting mm. um but I've always wanted to write a book so it was a dream come true to be able to do that and that came out last week so it's all been a bit of a whirlwind uh, since last day. I, it really has I mean it sounds like it's been a whirlwind since the, the age of your early 20s to be honest you know when you talk about it it make when we talk about it for five minutes and you you play that backstory back it's like yeah yeah it just sounds really simple but so <laughs> much has happened in that hasn't it and having written this first book more than toast it does it it follows your story from your dreams mm. as a child really like what your expectations were as someone growing mm. up and what your expectations were going to be of marriage and children and mm-hmm. how you had your parents as a role model of of what a happy marriage looks yeah. like you know meeting your yeah. first husband life-threatening illnesses with your first child as well divorce yes. post like, yeah. there's just so much in there and you've been through so much how cathartic was it to actually put pen to paper and in a book and write it in the way that you have it was actually very difficult I found it really hard um I, I didn't have a very long period of time to write the book um so it was a very intense six weeks that I did it in um, and I went back. I'm very lucky that I've, I wrote about so much of my life as I went along um, in my blog. So I had that to refer to um, because I think when you write about your life and about what you've been through, it, you need to put yourself back in the moment to yeah. do it justice. Yeah. So raiding back all the bits that I've written throughout the years was very helpful. And I also listened to a lot of music, the music that I was listening to at that particular time, which was quite harrowing at some period, you know, like listening to the first dance at my wedding or listening to the songs that I was, I would play when um, Elfie was so poorly in hospital. Um, And it was blooming emotional. It was, I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. I would have a glass of wine. I would write in the evenings. I'd have a glass of wine do my bit, have a cry, and then go to bed. I literally literally did that for six weeks. It was really hard. Wow. Um, But I feel like um, because I've been so busy since my kids were born and since I got divorced, I hadn't really completely finished processing everything. Yeah. So it really helped to kind of finally close the door on everything that's happened in the last six years it was a great cathartic experience yeah and and I was going to actually reflecting as you were talking you know um, obviously from my work I know how much music is a language of emotion and it Mm. helps us to get into the senses and I I, it's really fascinating that you listen to the music that you were going through because it as you say it transports you right back to that time and actually being able to process that through those words and going back into those Mm. emotions is so important isn't it because Mm. from what you've been through like I can imagine that it's been you've been in a comet so with all of the emotions kind of coming out how on earth have you ever had the time to deal and you know process those emotions without being in therapy like three times a week Mm -hmm. so do you feel like the book has been a bit of therapy for you 
Oh, absolutely. It's the best free therapy that anyone could ask for. Um, and yeah, talking about the music and how it does have such a profound effect on people's lives. I don't think I really realised that before. And I'm not even talking about cerebral music that I was listening to. I'm talking about like Bruno Mars mm. would reduce would reduce me to a pole. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's been such a good process of and writing has always been like that for me, to be honest. I always have to write something down to process it. So this was like writing my life down and processing it, but a hundred times deeper than I have done before. Yes, because you mentioned that in the book, don't you, that there was back in the day pre um, anything else was something called live journal, yeah. where you would use it as kind of online diary to process thoughts and feelings. So yeah. it, it is such an important thing for us to be able to do. And we can do that in any sense, can't we? You know, we don't mm-hmm. have to write a book in six weeks. You know, that is a crazy process, but it can be something as simple as writing a journal each day, you know, oh, even, if, even if it's a couple of lines, you know, mm-hmm. just being able to process thoughts. Yeah. So the book deals with so many themes, um, including resilience, persistence in the face of adversity. And you've had to really fight with um, seeming, you know, people who are in authority, particularly around your daughter's illness, to get what you needed to save her life. You know, those are really there's some really harrowing um, tales in there. And it it goes through a real emotion of humour and sadness and challenge and being able to laugh in the face of adversity, busting open myths around our life's ideals, misogyny, feminism. Mm-hmm. Did you set out to consciously include all of these themes? Or do you think this is something we deal with in everyday life? We're just not aware of it. Oh, I definitely think it's their unconscious things that we deal with, but we just, we don't kind of stop to put labels on it. Mm. Um, and I think like I would never have considered myself a feminist before I got divorced. I had a very traditional upbringing my dad went out to work. He was out the house 12 hours a day. And my mum spent most of her time looking after the children. And that was always what I thought I wanted. And I never would have called myself a feminist before because I would have thought feminists were bra burners and, you know, on marches wearing sashes. Um, but I know now that feminism is about choice and about being empowered to live the life you want to live without, you know, having, having men or, or anyone else tell you that you can't do something. Um, but I just wasn't able to put that label on it with the experiences that I'd um, I'd had previously. Um, so I think there's definitely lots of issues that we all deal with on a, a daily basis that we just don't stop to to pinpoint, you know, what they are. Yeah. And and how much more are you aware of that consciously now, having been through the process that you've been through, and actually maybe reflecting back on those themes in the book? Are you and be consciously becoming aware of what feminism is mm. and it affects feminism as we know it affects everybody it's not just women mm-hmm. so are you much more consciously aware of what's going on as it's going on yes and I really wish that I could relive parts of my life now knowing what I know and feeling kind of strong as I do now um I've always worked in a really male dominated area Um, And I wish that I was as confident back then as I am now in my kind of feminine power, I guess, and and my equality, Um, because I just would let men take over all the time. And I wonder the the effect that would have had on my career if I was able to do that now. 
Um, and I hope a little bit that by writing my book and writing my blog and doing this, the stuff that I do online, that that empowers other women to kind of mm. to change that. And I think the change is coming earlier and earlier. Um, and I've I've met a few young women recently and kind of they're like 23, 21. And I think, God, you are so smart. You are so switched on to this. And it makes me proud that it's it's becoming uh, it's coming to women earlier that they're 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 arriving at their confidence their feminine confidence earlier yeah I think it's so important and I hope that's something I can instill in my kids not just in my daughter but in my son as well yes absolutely just as important oh my goodness a hundred hundred percent because you know it's a challenge that we all face isn't it and it, what's interesting in the book is that yes there's a there's a lot of talk around what you've had to do and I come from the advertising agency background as well so I completely understand what you're talking about being mm-hmm. in a male male dominated environments and how we wish we could have gone back to those some of the most cringing moments when mm-hmm. I had um oh my goodness I had a an appraisal once and I laugh about it now but it's really not funny where my boss at the time um, decided to tell me that my performance was down because I'd just gone through a divorce and that was obviously it no kind of reason as to what was going on around that no reason as mm. how how I can help and support you and then said because I was obviously getting frustrated I wasn't upset I was angry told mm-hmm. me he could see down my top <gasps> I mean I know right I know and at the time you're just I was so angry all I could do was get up and walk away yeah but you know there's just so many things you wish you're armored with that you know now that you just go do you know what this conversation has to stop this is not okay absolutely yeah and and uh, there was a lot that came out through your your dating um, experiences. One particularly harrowing story of a guy who tried to get into your house afterwards. Oh God, yeah. You know, and we take this on all the time, don't we? In terms of just little things each and every day. Um, so this kind of this misogyny there's and and feminism has to go across men and women because you talk uh, and I've had this before with female bosses as well who can act mm-hmm. in a not cool way so how what kind of advice could you give to people if they think that they may be getting uh at hand at the suffering at the hands of misogyny or sexism or just where it's not okay what kind of advice would you give them well I think I believe that as women and um taking the example of that guy I went on a date with who was a lawyer and you know put himself forward as a a a decent member of society and a feminist who tried to get into my house after I'd told him explicitly no I do not want to have sex with you this evening Um, and he kind of lunged at me and then followed me to my front door and, and tried to push into my front door and even I mean this is going back like three three years now and I I would deal with it differently now but in the the period after it happened, I spent the next day thinking, um, what did I do to encourage that? Mm. How how uh, that was my fault? I shouldn't have led him on because he'd said to me, "You're leading me on," and I'd gone, "Oh yeah, yeah, I am leading him on. Oh dear." And I spent a couple of days kind of beating myself up that I'd gone through that experience with him because it was my fault. Until I don't know something clicked like two days later, and I went, "No, it wasn't me. Yeah. He he was an asshole." Yeah. Um, and I actually texted him and went, do you realize how disgusting your behavior was? And his answer, I think, was, wasn't my finest moment, lol. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, Just wow. And so he knew. He absolutely knew that I he think, was doing that. I think he knew. Well, he texted me and said, I can't believe you let me walk home without a jacket last Oh, night. my God. Oh, you poor baby. <laughs> like, wow. 
give a shit. Um, so yeah, I think, how would I overcome that now? I think it's just being confident that you don't have to take any behavior that you feel uncomfortable with. Yeah. And if, and if you being uncomfortable with someone else's behavior makes them feel uncomfortable, then tough shit, really. It's, it's, you have to, you're respectful of other people's comfort when you're dealing with them. I know I'm respectful of other people's comfort. And that is just something that we should all expect yes. from our daily interaction. interaction yes, 100%. And comfort from our. Yeah. yeah. And, and being able to feel okay to be clear with your boundaries and saying, you know what, this, this has to stop. You need to go home. I, that that mm-hmm. doesn't work for me and I think as women the challenge is we're, we're people pleasers aren't we so we want people yeah. to like us we don't you know it's what we get taught from a young age be nice smile be polite be polite yeah don't be too much don't you know it, it, just back down and mm-hmm. so it is ingrained into us but it is absolutely something we have to exercise actually in order to be safe with our own boundaries mm-hmm. and in order for us to be maintained and cared for in the way that we should be that it's okay to say that doesn't work this needs to stop and mm-hmm. it's you know the thing I've really struggled with before is when people do that kind of like oh you've made me feel like this because of your actions and everybody's responsible for their own care right their own Mm -hmm. accountability so it's really important to note that for the other people that you don't have any control over how they're going to feel and whatever they're going to feel is what they're going to feel it's Mm -hmm. not your problem Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely I think boundaries you said boundaries boundaries is one word that I've really been focusing on this last year Um, and it's okay to tell someone that they're crossing your boundaries I would always say in a a dating situation I've had times before I felt like someone's um gone past my boundaries and I didn't like it but I would always silence myself but now I know that it's okay to stand up and say no I'm uncomfortable with this this is my boundary and you're exceeding it and that is fine that is what we should do um and it won't offend the other person in fact I think it makes them more comfortable to know that they are operating within the correct boundaries and within the space that is is happy for you yeah and and I really like what you're saying there because that's very clean language isn't it Mm. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're crossing the boundaries. You do not feel comfortable with this. Stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good tip there. So um, what are the standout things that you think you've learned about yourself and your life when it comes to the ideals and how they came crashing down, i.e. you thought life was going to be in a certain mm-hmm. way, you thought your marriage would last forever, that, that blah, 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 blah. You know, all the things that we, we kind of set out for ourselves and yet they do come crashing down because life isn't Hollywood. Yeah. So what, what things do you think you've learned about yourself? And do you think we put too much pressure on ourselves to have this perfect existence? Oh, completely. Well, we're all conditioned to believe that the ultimate is marriage and kids. And um, I don't think it is for a lot of people. I don't think that's not what has made me happiest in my life. What's made me happiest is excelling in my job and maybe a little bit of activism and also um, my kids are loved and happy marriage and a happy family life that's something that is now going to come it it will come I'm sure and I I'm, hopefully will get married one day and I would love to be with a man but if I don't also it's not the end of the world because I am happy on my own um, and I think that is such a rubbish ideal that we're all set by Hollywood the media magazines um and it's I think it's a lovely thing to remember that love can come from so many different places and not just from a man or a woman 
Um, it doesn't have to come from a partnership. That can be an added bonus, but as long as you have love in lots of other different areas of your life, I think you can find happiness there. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about this, and what I love is at the end of your book that it is a love story to yourself in terms yeah. of what you've been through and to your community, your your mm-hmm. women, your extended family and the people that you have community with. Mm-hmm. And so what advice do you think that you'd give to people who may be going through um, a period of feeling lonely they may be in a relationship where they know it's not right there may be kids that maybe not what advice would you give to people who are fearing leaving a kind of codependent relationship for fear of Mm -hmm. being alone well it's interesting uh, because I spoke to my mum this morning and she said that one of her friends has just finished reading the book um, and she her friend likes to psychoanalyze things and she said oh well it's very obvious that Alice is always just looking for the love of a man and I just I did she read the end of the book I was like this is like the absolute opposite of the point (laughs) of the book like what on earth and I, I talk about how I have gone looking for the love of a man and that is what I always thought the ultimate should be and when I was married before I really didn't have very many close friends outside of my marriage because I didn't think I needed them um And the end of the book is, oh, I I would never want to finish this on a relationship because that's not what's important. The important thing is the relationship you have with your friends and your family. Um, And I think anyone who finds themselves coming out of a big relationship or a marriage is to just open your heart to the other people that you've got in your life that you may not have a romantic relationship with, but you can have a really loving, wonderful, fulfilling other kind of relationship with a friendship relationship with and I think that is almost so much more fulfilling than a marriage because you don't have that you don't have that thing that you're legally bound or you know you're you live together you actually want to spend time with the people you spend time with when you're in a friendship you want to make the time to see them and you want to make the effort to be a good friend and that is so much more valuable than just seeing your partner because you get home at the end of the work day and have dinner together just because you live together yeah um and I think in lots of ways friendship is is better than a relationship it's not it's kind of conditional and and you love each other because you are each other not because yes. you're in a relationship yes and that's really important isn't it because there's so much pressure that gets put onto relationships mm-hmm. for trying to give us something that perhaps we don't know ourselves how to receive and yeah. you know what the pressures we put on the other person to be something that maybe they can never be and never mm-hmm. were going to be able to be and maybe they don't even know themselves that's yeah. you know that's that's the thing that I find about relationships is uh, two people in a, or however relationships work now is more about learning about yourself than mm-hmm. anything else at all and so that freedom that comes with family relationships and friends relationships is there's not the pressure and you can find a bit more about yourself and actually have a few more laughs doing it yeah yeah exactly and I'm, I'm going on holiday actually later on this year like for the very first time with a friend and I can't wait because oh, I'm like we want to go on holiday together and I think I think when you go on holiday with a partner you are under this pressure to spend every second together but I know that my friend Carly if I say to her oh I just I just need half an hour on my oh you know I just need to go and have a walk she'd be like yeah yeah see you later um and I think it's a lot harder to do that kind of thing when you're with a partner um yeah, so I think I think friendships are so wonderful, and I'm 
almost sad that I've just spent the last I spent my 10 years of marriage not having the deep friendships I have now because they are I'd recommend them to anyone I'd recommend yes. friendship to anyone 100% yeah they're the thing that which is enjoys but they change as well don't you don't they like you know as you go through different stages in life mm. I think it's important to note that not all friendships stay as yeah. they are and 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 if it's a good relationship it will change as you grow and develop and sometimes it's okay to say well that was okay for as it was mm-hmm. but we're in different places now you talk about that in the book as well in terms of how some relate friend relationship end so what do you think mm. is important for people to know about friendships and how they change and develop throughout our lives well what's that saying friends for a reason friends reason for and a season, season. Yeah. yeah there you go <laughs> yeah um that was really hard for me actually the first time I lost a friendship because I thought again I thought what have I done um what's wrong with me why don't they want to be my friend anymore but we were just at very different points in our life I had kids she hadn't got kids I'd been divorced she had a partner um so it was I think we just drifted apart as you do in relationships sometimes but I think sometimes you put your friendships under more pressure than you put your relationships because it's easier to see the journey that a relationship goes on the peaks and the troughs and then to see you grow apart with friendships that it feels a lot more personal almost um so it took some work to let it go but since then I have re-evaluated a lot of the friendships I've got and as I go along I kind of think what is this person bringing to my life and what am I Mm. giving to their life Mm. um because as much as relationships friendships are a give and take um and I think it's only it's important to only keep friendships in your life that do bring something positive and enriching yes Yes, and and that works both ways, doesn't it? If we can, like you say, if we can be present with that friendship as much as we can get from it as well, then that's kind yep. of a karmic response to energy and how things work and, you yeah. know, and, and being able to be around those people that sustain and fill us and, and we can do the same for them as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you talk about something I found really interesting in the book is that you talk about the how the idea of not being enough, i.e., what every single person probably feels in their life at some point mm-hmm. or another is a bit is a feminist issue i.e this mm-hmm. idea of perfectionism can you tell us a bit more about that well I think as women we're always told that we need to have it all and if we don't already have it all we need to work until we do have it all we need to have the the relationship we need to have the family we need to have the career or we need to have the perfect home or we need to have both the career and the perfect home and it's I mean, I'm just wanting to take a lie down thinking I know I was just thinking that myself I feel overwhelmed (laughs) just you even saying those words (laughs) it's just it's an exhausting expectation and you can never catch anyone saying to a man well you know you've got the kids but when are you going to start focusing on your career more? Or <laughs> you've, you've got the kids and the career. Why have you got a dirty kitchen? Um, why haven't you made a cake for your kid's birthday party? Um, and are they eating all their greens and all the things oh, that they should be eating? They're eating organically. And those Burford brown eggs you've bought them. Yeah, it's just, it is really exhausting. And um, I always look at my life as if it's a series of buckets. So I've got my relationship bucket, my career bucket, my friendship bucket, my family bucket my home bucket and none of those buckets are ever full and I always know that if I if I slip in one area or if I if I'm filling up the bucket in my career then that means I'm going to order takeaways for the next four weeks and that's Mm -hmm. fine Mm -hmm. or if I'm if I'm working hard on my relationship 
then maybe I won't see my friends so much. And I think it's just a case of kind of telling yourself that it's okay to not have everything and to recognize that you can ebb and flow with what you're doing with your life at that time. Um, like I've just launched the book last week. I didn't see my kids for a really long time, but as long as you know that that's going to be over within a week and then you can put effort into the area of your life that maybe has been a little bit, I don't want to say neglected because it's not neglected. It's just have to go by the wayside a little. Yeah. Um, but I think the bucket analogy is a really good one. If I ever panic about not doing enough in a certain area of my life, I just think, right, well, where is all my energy going? And that's fine because it's going to equalize over the next week and I'm going to focus on this area next week. Do you know what? That's a really good point. And I was talking about this on the podcast last, last week that I don't believe in the idea of a work-life balance because mm-hmm. for me, balance is having too many plates in the air and if they're not all spinning at the same speed, they're going to come crashing down. So I love the idea that it's buckets and yeah. actually we can borrow from things as we need to and yeah. knowing that they're going to equalize and being aware of where, where that's happening is really important. Mm-hmm. So whenever I work with clients, I always do this exercise at the beginning where we break down kind of the eight key buckets of their life as it were and and having a look at because everything's interlinked isn't it everything is all Mm -hmm. makes up the whole so knowing where that bucket might be really empty and knowing where you need to put back into one Mm -hmm. thing I I I noticed as you were talking you didn't put yourself in a bucket there so how how do you true actually yeah how do you look after yourself in all of this Alice that is the bucket that does get neglected I have to say um I think when we're talking about the bucket analogies one thing I do do and I do this quite well is try and delegate some of my buckets to other people so Uh, yes I have no guilt in getting my house cleaned or I have no guilt in ordering takeaway or taking the kids out for dinner or um trying to 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 fill up my bucket with someone else every so often um but that is and I think that's another thing common to women that we do neglect ourselves and I'm trying um to stop feeling guilty for doing things that are just for me. And one thing I've discovered recently in the last three months is that exercise is really important. I know. Mm. Newsflash. Exercise makes you feel good. (laughs) I know. And I just immediately go, oh, God, really? (laughs) But yes, it so does. It's for everything. Yeah. And it it re-energizes me in my work and it makes me sleep better. It makes me a more patient person with the kids. And I've never, ever prioritized exercise until these last three months. And it's literally been a revolution. So I do exercise now between one and three times a week, um, depending on how busy everything else is. Um, But I think that's so important to even if it's not exercise, just fresh air, perhaps getting the sunshine on your face for half an hour or reading a book just taking even 30 minutes out of a day to do something for you. Um, I also think Love Island has been really helpful (laughs) in taking time out because I've never got, in the last few years, I haven't really ever got into any TV shows. Um, But Love Island means I sit down for an hour and I watch and I get into it and then I talk to my friends about it. And then before I know it, two hours have gone past and I haven't thought about work or or amazing. It's wonderful. 
I love that. And because my next question was going to be because, you know, you've written your book in six weeks, you've got a very busy life, you know, trying to find the motivation for doing things when all you want to do is sit down and, and eat chocolate and love island but actually that sounds like a huge part of self-care for you yeah which is great because it does make you stop and do things and I'm exactly the same my stop-off point and this is hilarious because it's my guilty pleasure <laughs> is to watch home and away and neighbors brilliant I love it I've got to stop at half five or at least <laughs> I'll be doing some work whilst it's going on yeah and love island of an evening because it's just it, it does allow yourself that moment to settle down doesn't it yeah yeah it does and also I think you could make the argument that love island is an important sociological study on totally <laughs> that's the way that's my reasoning for watch it you know I'm just I'm, I'm reading I'm psychologically I'm evaluating how people's relationships are working together and from a social point of view yeah interesting stuff <laughs> so the idea of self self motivation with writing this book with all of those buckets like how do you get yourself motivated in your work well this is something I've really struggled with in the past five years and I think this is quite closely linked to misogyny and not quite knowing if I've got it all or feeling like I have to get it all or um, not knowing if I've I'm good enough and I've always had a problem with self-belief and imposter syndrome um, and I've been working, I work with a life coach who specializes in mums, getting mums back into work. And that has just been transformative for me. Um, I think just having someone I speak to about what I'm doing and what I want to do for a couple of hours a month has just been, it's insane. It's insane how much motivation it's given me. You've um, heard it here first, people. Working with a life coach is absolutely the best <laughs> thing to do ever. It is. And I spent three years going, what the hell do I need someone for to mm -hmm. teach me how to live? Like, oh, I know how to live. I do it every day. Let me tell you, we all need someone to teach us how to live. Yeah. Um, and I've never Even us life one. coaches need life coaches. Exactly. That, you know, it, it's so important. And it's having that level of, yes, accountability, knowing that you're going to be yeah. checking in with somebody, but having somebody who's kind of championing you and, and there from the sidelines for you is so important too, isn't it? Absolutely. Someone who's got your back. It's a really powerful thing. And I've never met anyone who's got a life coach and who said, actually, I quite regret getting my life coach. I haven't got anything from it. Everyone who I know who has a life coach has thought it's the bee's knees. Um, and it really is, particularly, I think, when you work for yourself or you work in a, in a job where it's dominated by males like marketing um, and you kind of you doubt yourself. I doubt myself all the time. Um, but my life coach really helps me, has really taught me how to overcome those doubting thoughts that I have. Um, and if I, I used to get into these cycles of, like I said, self-doubt and I'd have one day, maybe I'd get a bad email or I'd be tired and not productive and that would knock me out for a week. And I'd spend the next week kind of sat on my computer going, oh, I'm rubbish. Why would anyone want to hire me? And I'd get an email asking you about work and I'd think, but no, I can't reply because I'm not any good and I'll only disappoint them. And I don't get that anymore which oh, is amazing, illuminating. And I have so much more self-confidence and the ability to, to know that I am good and I am worth people paying me money. And I put my prices up. I, I do a lot of work for bigger brands. It's just fantastic. It's amazing. Oh, yes. 
there's a promotion for all life care and you weren't paid to say this as well obviously which is great news so what what, what do you think have been the key things that you learn about yourself through this process i.e you say that you've got more confidence you don't have those niggling doubts because that's what people come to me with most of the time is i i, I totally lack confidence in what i'm doing it knocks mm. me out for a week you know we're amazing at being able to niggle, uh, cling on to negative bias and if something comes into our email that doesn't feel good we find all the reasons why mm. in our amazing filing cabinet of the unconscious mind so what are the things that you most learn about yourself through this journey that have given you this confidence and the ability to be able to put yourself out there more and, and actually gain what you're worth mm-hmm. well I think a lot of my problems in my self-confidence and imposter syndrome has come from when I became a mother um, because I think, again, going back to the way we're conditioned to think about motherhood, it's supposed to be the holy grail. What more would you want in your life, according to the media, than being a mother? It's it's like the most wonderful thing to do. And when I became a mum, I kind of thought, oh, is this it? Um, and yeah, I had a hard time. My uh, daughter was very, very poorly. So I went through all that when she was six weeks old and it was awful. But after I came through that, I just didn't know who I was. And um, I was just I was at home with a baby who did nothing but cry and poo and eat. Uh, She didn't say thank you. She didn't, Mm. you know, give me a performance review once every three months Mm. and tell me I was doing a good job. She didn't pay me a salary. And I didn't realize how much worth I had got from my my jobs before. I thought, great, I can leave my career and bake cakes all day and I'm going to be laughing. Um, But I need that in my life. I need the validation from someone else telling me I'm doing a good job or me being able to look at a piece of work and going yeah that's really good and you don't get that from a baby you keep them alive and that's about you know all you do you might make them some Annabelle Carmel food but the baby doesn't say thank you until well I mean mine are getting old now they still don't really say thank you they they write me letters sometimes that's lovely and uh, they've just had two very good school reports which I'm so proud of Um, but I think So many women just lose themselves when they become mothers. Um, And it's very important to remember yourself when you're going through that process and to be able to to come out the other side of pregnancy and birth and then early motherhood and then go, right, I'm doing this thing, I'm raising this child, but who am I outside of the child? Even if it's just that you want to read a book and you want to expand your mind in that way or you want to start a hobby, you want to, you know, start crafting or you want just, you know, something that's for you. It's so important to just keep doing something for you so that your life isn't consumed by this tiny little person who's not even a foot tall. Yeah, and and, and I hear what you're saying. I work a lot with women who have children and who don't have children. And the one thing that really comes forward with um, women who are mothers is, you know, guilt, as you say. I think guilt Mm. comes out with the placenta. I really do. (laughs) And so how do you give yourself the permission or what would you say to listeners to give themselves the permission that it is... And I talk about all the time how we have to put the oxygen mask on first, Mm. regardless, because when there's more for you, there's more for other people. So what what tips would you give or advice would you give to listeners about being able to work through the guilt and give yourself permission to have mm. that time for yourself? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I think, and I think, like you said, you work with mothers and um, people who don't have kids as well. And I think 
um, hearing you talk and, and processing what you were saying, I think this is probably, and knowing that I've got some single friends in their 30s who don't have kids, they might not feel the same kind of guilt that I feel and that mothers feel, but I think they always feel this guilt that they should be having kids and why yes. don't they have kids and they're going wrong because they don't have kids and, and who are they if they don't have kids yet or don't have a marriage yet? Oh God, it's just all a plethora of guilt, isn't it, that we have to deal yeah, with? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> Um, but I think we all need to take that time for ourselves. And my, I have a friend who always talks about how, although all the people in her life are important, she is her own one. You know, we always talk about looking for the one in a romantic mm. sense. We always talk about looking for the one. And she always says, no, I am the one. I am the one. Um, oh, my God. Totally. And I think, yeah, you always have to keep that in the back of your mind. And I do that when I go to the gym. And I even woke up this morning and thought, God, do I have time? I've got you know, I've got a deadline, I've got the podcast later, I've got to go and get the kids, I promised them I'd make pizza dough so we could have pizza tonight, and I thought, I'll just, I won't go to the gym. And I thought, no, this is the one thing that I do that makes me happy. I will excel at everything else if I do my 45 minutes at the gym this morning. And I think you just have to push aside that little voice that tells you to put everyone else first, and you need to have an hour-long bath, or you need to go to a spa, or you just need to stop feeling guilty about other people taking on a portion of the responsibility that you shoulder every single day because it's not a big deal you work so hard we work so hard to uh, make other people happy so we need to be happy as well yeah. otherwise yeah. And we will I, grind to a stop and I don't know where we forgot to do this you know and I think that does come back to this idea of perfectionism and having it all and being it all and being the dutiful partner friend mother Mm. you know coach whatever it is whatever we take on as these roles and responsibilities that we feel like we have to give it all away to other people I always ask you know my clients where are you in the queue Mm. of your life like where are you and just just take a moment to reflect on that and quite often right at the back right at the back taking the handouts from other people of your own energy and Mm -hmm. it just doesn't make sense to do that so some really good tips there in terms of self-care and looking out for ourselves and how to deal with that guilt so I don't think it has to be a big thing though I think it's worth saying that something I've always done for myself ever since I split up from my husband is I've always had painted nails and Mm. my hands always look nice and you look at your hands hundreds of times a day and that's one thing that I know I will always look at my hands and they will look nice. That will, they'll look lovely. And that's one thing I do for myself that doesn't take much time at all. Once a week, I have nice nails. And that kind of warms me every time I look at my hands. So even if everything else is going to shit, at least, <laughs> at least I've, I've got, got a great nice. manicure. But yeah. it is, I like that because it's a moment of whether you're doing it for yourself or you're, you know, getting a manicure, you know, it's a moment of connection. Mm. it's a moment of taking a breath and being present and like you say you use your hands a hundred times a day if you're able to look at yourself and go okay well that's how I show myself Mm self-care it's going in unconsciously you know it's going in as a as something to take a pause and and take a moment for ourselves which Mm -hmm. again is another really good self-care tip so we've learned you know about how music is really good for the soul writing Mm -hmm. in whichever form taking some time out for yourself putting yourself at the at the front of the queue and good nails (laughs) good nails everybody so (laughs) um we're just going to round up for the uh podcast today so you've written the book you've got your blog you write for the daily telegraph what's coming next or is it just a big lie down on a holiday 
um good question um I'd love to write another book I'd love to write a fiction book um and kind of apply my experiences to a story and I also think my mum my mum has always really championed my writing um my mum would love for me to write a book that didn't include my own sexual experiences (laughs) um she got went after a couple of glasses of wine at my book launch last week she said to to me I've been talking to your agent we've decided you're doing a fiction next time yeah (laughs) <laughs> nothing about bottoms or vaginas thank no, you no, nothing about your own vagina Alice someone else's is fine <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love to do that um but I also I want to focus on my blog and I would love to include more women voices in the work that I do because it's it's starting to fi- feel quite repetitive to me and I'm moving on from a stage in my life where I felt quite lost and alone and um I feel like I could now bring lots of different experiences to the platform I have. So I'd really like to to spread that net a bit further. And I also want to do some online courses. Cool. I do a bit of teaching in real life and I think I'd like to, to do it online as well. So that's what's next. Brilliant. Well, you heard it here first and we'll put the links to um, Alice's blog and to where you can get the book all up on the podcast notes as well. So thank you so much for this um interview today Alice I always like to finish off with one last question Mm -hmm. which is we've talked about how music is so important so what is your kind of number one track at the moment which will be the one that gets you up on the proverbial dance floor oh god that is such a question um I don't really go out dancing very much um if you're talking about about dancing in a kitchen at home I'm going to have to bring up my Spotify playlist now and have a Do look. it. No, I bloody, it. Love, I bloody love Ariana Grande. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think she does excellent, um, excellent pop music. It's definitely other, either Ariana Grande at the moment or Lauren Hill. I've been listening to a lot of Lauren Hill, who's also Old fantastic. stuff or new stuff? Old stuff. The miseducation. Do you know, oh, do you know what? I've been going back to some of the early 2000 classics, oh, so like good. a bit of Lenny Kravitz and Lauren yeah. Hill, just yeah. the best. Yeah. Okay, cool. Right. Anything in terms of Lauren Hill that is a standout to you? Um, I think X Factor is a brilliant breakup track. You listen to that over and over again uh, when you break up with someone, along with Alanis Morissette, obviously. Ofs. Um, yes. I'm just looking. I'm looking through my um, playlist now. We've also got a healthy bit of the Greatest Showman in there, which oh, it's love, <laughs> and a bit of Drake. So if you've got everything, Drake, Rita mixing Ora, it up. Yeah, Childish Gambino. Oh, what I a just, man! I do like a lot of sing-alongs. Great, and it's that's so good for the soul as well, isn't it? There's nothing better than when you're belting out a song at the top of your lungs for oh, making you feel alive yeah. honestly <gasps> painted nails in a kitchen disco <laughs> painted nails in a kitchen disco right I love it we're <laughs> going to end off on that thank you so much for joining us today darling thanks Kate lovely to talk to you Thank you for listening to the Practical Magic podcast today with me, Kate Taylor, and my special guest, Alice Judge Talbot. You can find out all of the links and everything you need to know about Alice in the show notes, which will be over on www.katetaylor.co forward slash podcast. Next week, I'll be back with another Practical Magic episode. And in the meantime, if you want to find out more about the kind of work that us coaches do, then head on over to my website, katetaylor.co. You'll also find out about the retreat that I'm running, the Practical Magic 
Strategic Retreat, which will be taking place on the Isle of Wight, 21st to 24th of September. It's going to be an amazing weekend, set in beautiful woodlands in incredible tiny homes. We're going to be doing some gorgeous yoga nidra, some sound bath, movement, and actually just time to ourselves to sit around and have great conversations and a few giggles. So if you want to find out more about that, then head over to the speaking and events page on my website. And until next week, take care.